You're listening to the Seaworthy Podcast, Episode 20, Healthcare Innovation During COVID-19. Seaworthy is a podcast about building successful software. Today, we're talking about designing systems of care and the accelerated adoption of telehealth with Michael Seidel of Advocate Aurora Health. I'm excited to have Michael Seidel on the show with me today. Michael is Design Strategy Manager at Advocate Aurora Health, a regional healthcare system based in Illinois and Wisconsin with over 74,000 employees. Welcome to Seaworthy, Michael. Thanks for coming on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, before we jump in and, and talk more about design, healthcare, um, and all things related, can you just tell us a little bit more about your background and your story, how you got into design and technology? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think like a lot of people who've uh, ended up in the UX world before there were programs for it, um, I came in in a sort of odd way. I went to school uh, to get an English degree, not knowing what I would do with that. Uh, that somehow transitioned into me freaking out at the, the last minute before graduating, the last maybe year and a half, um, trying, trying to determine what I would do with that, uh, focusing then on a, a technical and professional writing background or focus with my English degree. From there, I ended up working for a company as a technical writer. As I was doing that, I started realizing that a lot of the writing that I was doing was trying to get people to overcome problems that existed with the software that we were creating at that organization. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, around the same time that I was maybe about a year into to my time there, uh, a woman was hired who had a lot of expertise in usability testing. So she was kind of brought in to really improve and get research backed um, evidence to make enhancements to our products. So that was a whole new idea to me. Um, she didn't even use the term UX at this time. I think this, this was maybe like 2007 ish. Um, so that term UX was still pretty, pretty fresh, even though a lot of the methodology already existed, but she took me under her, her wings, um, really helped me to understand how to do research, whether it was field work, um, you know, in-person usability testing and really trained me very well over the course of maybe a year and a half um, to to do that type of work. And then she left the organization and I was the one left who knew how to do any any of the user research. So I I was, uh, you know, kind of put in that role of leading it. Obviously, I had to figure a lot of things out still. I was pretty new to it and had to figure out my own ways of doing things. Uh, From there, I, I was brought on to from a colleague at that company who who left to go to another company to start a UX practice. So I was really brought in to start the the research arm of that. I was focused on, well, some information architecture uh, activities, but primarily on spinning up uh, user research. And it was a a large organization, global organization, um, maybe 150 years old, primarily engineering-led. There was not a good understanding of what design was, what user experience design was, what research contributed to that. So I, I spent a couple of years um, getting getting motion with that and, you know, traveling the globe and doing research in different countries, um, traveling to all corners of the U.S. and, and doing research. From there, I, I um, decided it was time to challenge myself and do something different. And that's how I ended up at Advocate Aurora Health. Um, you know, I was brought on there again to start a UX discipline. There were pockets of 
research and design happening, um, user experience design happening, but it was primarily a, a visual design focused um, discipline that they had. So I was really brought on to, to bring that kind of research back ap- approach to the work that was going on at, um, at, at Aurora Healthcare at that time, soon merged with Advocate Aurora or with Aurora to become Advocate Aurora Health. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. That's, that's a good background. Interesting that you came more from that English and communications side of things where, uh, you know, as, as you were exposed to user experience, you know, you're understanding really how much word words matter. And I think that's, yeah. you know, that's a key point in that, you know, if we, and, and we see this all the time in, in user research, if you're, you have bias and you explain to the user or you, you, uh, help clarify certain things, that's a different experience than somebody sitting alone with software, figuring out what's the next step. What are implications? If I do this, can I leave it blank? What happens if I don't? And I think like messaging plays such an important role in setting the expectations for what the user can do and what they can expect next. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a very important, um, thing. I would say also the having a background in, in writing and in communication really helps with how I interact with internal stakeholders or team members. You know, a lot of what I do now is facilitation and, and leading groups and how you set things up, how you set the stage for that, that work, whether it's internal clients, stakeholders, internal team members, all that matters to really help a successful project or product, um, get launched. So I, 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 Definitely feel like, yeah, from a from a the perspective of working with users, it's really important, but also internally as well. So I'm I'm kind of glad that I have that weird kind of weirdo background um, with with how I got into user experience. I think it just adds a, a bit of diversity as far as background to the to the teams that I work on, which are yeah. t- typically people who have a formal design back. Uh, you know, they went to school for design, for example. Yeah, that's powerful. So what uh, what do you do outside of work? Michael? Oh, I do a lot of different things. Um, <laughs> uh, I'd say primarily, I mean, with, with the, the pandemic and, you know, quarantine, I, I've been doing a lot of, uh, I do Ashtanga yoga most mornings of the week. Um, and then I also do a lot of running. Um, the running is a very helpful uh, escape from being inside. So I, that's a, a part of the day that I always look forward to is getting out and just moving my body a little bit. So def- definitely try to move as much as possible when I'm not at work sitting at a desk. Yeah. And then yeah, obviously also with, with that as well, keeping busy with a family and juggling all that. Um, so all those things go together and um, ba- need to balance all those things. Yeah, balance. <laughs> it's a good. <laughs> it's a struggle, word, especially right? Especially <laughs> with, with the y- yoga. Yeah, life, life yoga. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about your role at Advocate Aurora Health and, and what problems you and your team are really in the pursuit of solving. Yeah, I would say a lot of the the work that I do is facilitation of um, some stripe or another. Um, I do do a lot of like like I said or kind of touched on earlier. I do a lot of facilitation of, of um, you know group activities, group design activities. We are very heavily into design sprints. Um, that seems to be something that has gained a lot of traction over the the last couple of years. That I've I introduced that to to our discipline and and started doing that. You know, bringing together cross functional teams to solve design problems, um, and that's something that I really like. Um, and then also, you know, a lot, a lot of research that feeds the the work that we do. So whether it's it's a really deep level of research on big complex problems or small iterative, you know, quick quick feedback type sessions. Um, we're always trying to just learn more, um, have evidence for everything that we do and, um, 
you know, really create products based on, on that data that we're gathering. Um, so, so really some of the problems that, that we're trying to solve is, is how do we become more and more of a consumer-led, consumer-first organization? Obviously, being within healthcare, uh, patients are our number one concern. Um, but what we're doing from a digital standpoint is trying to translate what that what that means, that term patient means to really what a consumer or, or user needs from the products that we're offering to them. Our primary focus is, is around, um, we don't really, it, uh, is around, I guess, let me start over with that. Our, our primary focus is really around uh, the consumer-facing products. So that kind of spans from websites to kiosks to apps. We, we definitely, over the last three years that I've been with the organization, have, have really expanded out on, on what our focus is, where we initially were primarily just focused on maintaining and updating websites. We really look at, across a lot, of, um, a lot of different platforms now. Yeah, that, that's exciting. I mean, it really starts to encompass more of the how do you design healthcare like as a service almost to people like taking that service design model and figuring out how do we serve them where they are and, you know, understanding the touch points across that experience to be able to say, hey, a kiosk is right for this. An app is right for this. The website can handle kind of these jobs. Yeah. And, and along with that, just the interconnectivity between them. So kind of that omni-channel uh, approach to things. We know that someone maybe would schedule an appointment on their their computer and then move to their phone to check in for their appointment. Then they get to a clinic. Maybe they need to interact with, with a kiosk. Then after a visit, there might be some lab work that they have to check on another device. So, so we're really focused on how do we create a cohesive experience um, between all of those different devices and, to your point, service design. So what are the, the offline touch points? Who are the people that they're interacting with at a cl clinic or a hospital level? What are the we never want to make a change that makes it really efficient for a user to do something that complicates the, the internal workflow around it. So we're definitely cognizant of that. And we have a lot of discussions and are more and more leading discussions around how do we, how do we create that good holistic experience that benefits everyone? Yeah, that's powerful. So as you, um, as you take a step back, you know, what types of uh, activities or things does your team do to, to really get a grasp around, you know, that that holistic journey and that, that kind of service design aspect. Yeah. Um, let me think about that. Uh, I, I would say that a lot of the work that we do is, especially the work that I do is really in that vein. Like I said, service, des uh, service design is definitely a, a, a thread of what we do. And it's something that we're doing more and more, but I would say as far as true problem solving, um, the, to me, there's no substitute for where we currently are positioned as an organization uh, to design sprints. They just are really helpful with bringing together the cross-functional teams and bringing together, people, bringing together people with different perspectives to solve the problems together. Um, so I, I would say for the most part, that's the thing that's really helping us look strategically at the work that we have coming in front of us. Um, you know, from, from there, we have teams that are more on the execution level of, of the work. Um, but really where I'm focused is what are we trying to do? What are the ways that we can approach that? And then how do we continue to use these same methodologies to enhance the product um, as time goes by? Yeah. Are you, are you doing, you know, you mentioned before kind of balancing big picture ideas, you know, new ways to serve customers, and then also iterating on existing experiences. Are you, you know, are you thinking about the experience in an incremental way, you know, where you're doing design sprints and, you know, hey, this feature or this benefit, or are you, you know, 
are you part of the team that's stepping back and saying like, how would we make this 10 times better? And then having some big bets that you're also testing. Uh, yeah, I would, I would say it's a mix of both. I mean, the, the way that we use Design Sprint. So I think a good example is with our um, LiveWell, our app that we launched last, let's say November, I think it's been about a year. Um, we initially had some inkling of what the business needed from an app. Um, you know, it's really kind of taking whatever is is currently on offer in, in electronic health records providing that to a patient, but then also enhancing it with, with additional features, making it and making it as usable as possible, obviously. Um, but, but adding things like meditation, we have, um, uh, healthy news, which, which is a, a news service where the, the organization publishes articles and, and things along those lines, um, on a daily basis. So we want, really wanted to figure out, okay, or we were tasked with, we need to have all of this stuff come together in, in a way that makes sense or that's usable, that people can get to all this different information. So kind of starting with big asks along those lines and then using a design sprint to figure out, okay, well, what does that mean? How do we bring all that together? What are kind of the, the first priorities? What's the MVP version of, of that? And then, you know, every couple months since that time, we've done additional design sprints around, okay, well, we need to do uh, this around this specific feature, or we're looking to do new features that maybe incorporate bringing a certain piece of information in the, into the product, and then using that as the way of, of exploring those ideas. So whether they're big or small, we still use that same basic template, I would say, of a design sprint to, to investigate it, much in the same way um, that we use research on a big and small scale. We just kind of size it to fit whatever the ask is, um, bring the right people into the room and and really investigate it. And then obviously always look back to how is that fitting into the, the what's already been done up to that point and how it might lead into stuff we know is on the radar for down, down the line, um, you know, six months or a year and kind of the big picture of where we're going with it. So th there's a level of clarity that exists, but then some gray area within the, the clarity. And that's usually what we use the design sprint to really, you know, get into more. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's good. Like figuring out what, you know, laying out what you know and what you don't know. And then how do you go find that out? You know? Yeah. And, and, and a that, lot of times we, um, yeah, yeah. And a lot of times we do have a very vague notion within our design sprints of what the problem is, even that, that we're trying to, to solve and through the, the discussion and through the, um, stakeholder interviews and all of that, we get a lot more clarity and it's like, okay, well, we didn't exact, we, we knew we were kind of, in this uh, general realm, but now we're specifically focused on this part of that realm. So let's keep moving forward and coming up with ideas around that specific, um, you know, smaller part of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. So I guess take us back to, to March, you know, when true lockdown started, you know, started to happen, especially here, here in Wisconsin, you know, there was a mandate that came out relatively early, I think in the third week, second or third week. Uh, you know, being in healthcare, obviously there's ramifications, there's expectations, there's different things that people need, you know, now in an urgent way. Can you, can you talk about how you sh your team's work and trajectory has changed kind of since March? Yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah, <laughs> healthcare from everything that I've seen has radically shifted 
since then. I mean, I don't think that's probably to anyone listening to this podcast. It's probably not a surprise at all that technology is really kind of the backbone of everything that's happening with the way that people engage with healthcare um, now. But I, I feel like March was definitely a time that did a good job of ripping off the Band-Aid. So an example mm -hmm. um, of within our company, we were in the process of starting to pilot virtual visits. And we had, uh, there, there were a couple of clinics that we were testing it with, uh, or in the process of starting to test it with. I, I want to say that we were like very much in the early stages of figuring out how to, how to do it. And we had a goal of doing 25,000 virtual visits um, for the rest of the year. So from March till December, end of December. And I remember having discussions around that. And it was just like, how are we ever going to do that? How do we get enough in adoption of this? How do we get doctors to uh, modify their practices to start using a computer instead of sitting next to somebody? Um, so there were a lot of discussions around what 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 is this thing? What do we do with it? Because of the fact that we switched to primarily virtual visits um, after March, uh, the numbers that I've seen most re recently were that as of October, we had more than uh, 700,000 virtual visits across our system. So you can wow. see, I mean, I'm terrible at math, so I'm not even going to attempt that number, but that is a, a significant increase from where we thought we were going to be to where we actually are. So there's just an ongoing focus on not only how do you do virtual visits, but a big part of what I spent, you know, March, April, May doing is fig is having uh, from a research perspective, looking into how do we improve communicating to people about how they do a virtual visit. So it's not as simple as clicking a button and then they go, you know, we're serving patients across all experience level, all ages level, all abilities level. We're really everyone is is basically the users of our products. So how do we in a clear, concise way communicate, these are the things that you need to do. If you can't do those things, do these things instead. So a lot of support websites or uh, web pages um, that really were tr the attempt of them or the, the what we were attempting with them was to handhold people of how they actually get to their, their virtual visits. And then through that, there was a lot of iteration on, well, we tried that thing. We needed to get something out by the end of the week, but it probably wasn't the best thing. So let's step back, get additional feedback, figure out how we fix it. You know, we, we've released um, a, a help center around virtual visits. There have just been a lot of ideas that have come out of this that we never would have thought of if we were working in the slow motion world of 25,000 virtual visits for the year versus, you know, 800, 900,000 um, so it, it, I feel like it was a good thing because it forced everybody into this new realm. And I think patients, from my understanding of it and my view into it, is it, it's something that people like and providers as well. It, it's just a new way of doing things that they're adapting to and, and it, it, it's going well. Yeah, yeah. Did anything surprise you in that process? I mean, obviously, this was something your team was ramping up. You had some goals, initiatives around adoption and, you know, figuring out how to move the needle for those comp uh, for those patients, you know, through those virtual visits. I mean, anything that surprised you in going from, hey, we, we want 25,000 to now we want, you know, almost a million virtual visits? Yeah, I, I would say that the the thing that was most surprising is just that how adaptable people are when they need to be. Uh, you know, I think with everything related to the pandemic, it was just a mind shift for everybody. 
So there was no, no time to resist um, that this is the way that we do things now. I think more people feel comfortable doing things from their home than going into a place um, like, yeah, going into a place if they don't have to. So I think just giving people the options that, that in how willing people were to, to have those options of doing something different was really the powerful thing. Because you never know, you know, especially when you're in the more slow motion pre, pre-March world, you just never know how people are going to respond to it. Um, right. I, I do feel like from a lot of the research that I've done um, that within healthcare, there seems to be this idea of I've always done it this way. So I'm totally okay with doing it this way. And from what I, what I mean of, uh, from, sorry, let me step back. What I mean by that is that, for example, scheduling a doctor online is really cool and it's really convenient. But at the same time, I've gone to the, the same doctor for my whole life and I can just easily pick up the, the, the phone and talk to my doctor. So there is a level of, of paradigm shift that, that is happening and needs that to happen um, where I, I think maybe healthcare and healthcare systems have been a little bit behind the times um, as far as other industries are concerned with really accelerating how do they engage with consumers uh, on, on apps, you know, digitally, I guess, overall, um, because people want to, within healthcare, have that relationship with another person. You know, they're in a vulnerable position by going into a doctor uh, because, you know, it's you're, you're a person who's talking about your health concerns and all of those types of very human things that the level of human connection uh, has been an ex- expectation for so long. So how do you really make people understand and, and feel okay with getting that same level of care, but just done virtually? So there, there's been a big mind, mind shift with a lot of that. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. That's, okay. yeah, that's interesting because I think, you know, so many times your previous experience sets your expectation. And what we're seeing now is that acceleration, not just in healthcare, but in all things, right? Because people are remote of yep. changing expectations. So I think it's more important now than ever, you know, if it was ever not important um, for you to keep a pulse on your customers, you know, daily, weekly, really figure out like how, not only healthcare is changing, but how the markets around them are changing. And cause that all raises the bar for that expectation of how you deliver a good or a service to them. Yeah. And I would say that overall with the research that we've done pre-March versus post-March, any concept that we put in front of someone that has some virtual component to it, it it's not anymore. Oh yeah. I'd only, I would only want to call my doctor. It's more oh yeah, I just had a, a doctor's appointment last week that I did virtually, or my, my husband did, or there, there's a point of reference with it. So that just makes it so that people are, are becoming more comfortable with it. I think it's fascinating just the, the feedback that I get pre-March versus um, since March. Feeling stuck with your startup or app idea and not sure what to do next? I'm Andrew Verbencore, partner and CEO at Headway. You can book a free consult with me to help you and your team move forward. On this call, we'll listen to your problems, identify some new opportunities and next steps for you, and show you how our approach can help you reach your goals. So go to headway.io to schedule your free consult now. Look forward to helping you go from where you are closer to where you want to be. Yeah, so I imagine there's been a a lot of changes in the past nine months, right, from March till till now. but you started in healthcare, you know, over three years ago. How have things changed kind of in that longer period in your mind? It just a design strategy as a whole in healthcare. 
Yeah, I, I would say that the bar has definitely been getting steadily higher as far as, um, you know, how do we provide a good overall consumer experience to patients? You know, obviously, I, I'm most days kind of buried deep in the work that we're doing uh, within Advocate Aurora Health, where that is always a major point of discussion of how, how do we make a consumer first model a reality? Um, and, and I see that also with other organizations who are doing similar work to what we're doing, you know, even, even just looking at, um, other competitors or, um, you know, other, other healthcare systems that maybe aren't necessarily competitors, but somewhere else regionally, uh, within the country, just how, how much the design bar has, has been increasing over the last couple of years. I think that there, there are more and more people who are just trying to figure it out and investing in design because they know from other industries or from the device that's in their hand at all times that maybe where healthcare was is not where it should be based on what they're seeing within other industries. So I, I, I feel like it's a really encouraging place to be. Um, I know that the other side of healthcare is something that I don't necessarily touch on, but medical devices and, and, you know, other products that are not necessarily just healthcare systems. And Mm. I, I think that, what is interesting to look forward to is how do all of these things converge in the long term? So maybe medical devices are interacting and talking to systems that, that we're creating that get surfaced to users. I, and I definitely see um, that through some of the partnerships that we have, um, that bringing that data and bringing it to life in a way that's meaningful and consumable is, is, is really something that's going to be happening more and more um, as, as time goes by. Yeah. And it, you know, it's, it's like this continuous health versus a snapshot in time from a visit or a blood draw or, you know, there's work we've done in the, in the uh, continuous blood glucose monitoring realm and in, you know, dialysis clinics and stuff where you need more than just point in time data to, to be, you know, to diagnose and to actually treat it the right way. And so I think, yeah, that's absolutely right. in that there's, there's converging and the quantified self as a lot of people (laughs) call it, um, you know, it's going to be huge in, in how hospitals and doctors and clinics can can serve you better and be really, you know, consumer focused. I think there's a little bit of a hurdle, you know, that some folks might need to get over from a big brother standpoint of <laughs> this uh, thing that's monitoring me, you know, is is now piping into, you know, to other data streams. But I think the benefits far outweigh the, you know, the what would someone do with that data? Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I think to the big brother idea, I I really believe that it's getting people to understand that it's not nefarious reasons why this information is being captured. But if someone has a health condition, this is really helping to get a better understanding of where you are with that condition and how you're improving um, and the monitoring for the sake of of, um, your health, not for the sake of anything else related to what the data is or does. Um, Yeah. And so, so I think that kind of that synthesizing of the data and making that consumable is, is definitely a big thing, a, a big opportunity. Um, because obviously even a doctor can't sit and look through something that's constantly monitoring heart rate. They can't look through that for weeks at a time, but getting snapshots of what's happened at different points in the day, um, I think is, is a really interesting area of where some of this stuff might come together. But then also how does a patient view that and say, okay, well, I, I'm doing definitely better this month versus last um, and then what does that mean in the broader spectrum of, of their health, the picture of their health? So, mm-hmm. you know, a, lo- a lot of this is th- there's just, you know, obviously so, so many different devices that are out there. There's so many health conditions. There's so many 
like it's it's infinite the the amount of data that that could be brought together so I'm really excited to see what the work that we do. How do we start bringing this stuff together? And what information do we bring together to create a, a picture for people um, to make them healthier? Yeah. What do, you, uh, what do you see as the biggest hurdles to rapid iteration in learning in healthcare? You know, the, the feedback loops about the customer, the time to implement. Like, what do you see as the biggest hurdles you're working in in healthcare for a handful of years? I would say that from a consumer standpoint is change is not necessarily always a good thing. So people are not really, for the most part, they're not going into uh, an app or into a health record all the time, I guess, unless there's a chronic um, condition that they have where they, where they need to go in there to, to schedule appointments and check on test results. So that, that happens. But I would say the majority of our users are going in somewhat irregularly. They figure out how to do something. If they come back the next time, which three months later, totally making up a number, but if they come back three months later and everything has changed on them, it's just going to lead to frustration. It's just going to, to lead to them. I mean, th th there is a, a level of this is the tool that they need to use to engage with their health digitally. So they're, they're, they are kind of beholden to whatever changes happen, but we don't ever want to do anything that just completely derails them. Um, so that is a hard thing when we always are looking to improve and innovate and do things better, leverage what other industries are doing. Um, but we don't want to move in a way that's too fast that people just completely get lost and, and they can't manage their health properly. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that that's a good insight in a lot of companies. You know, you see, you know, in addition to systems innovating, you see startups coming on the scene that are innovating. And a big reason why they fail is timing, like the expectations of their users aren't there. And so it doesn't make sense. You know, they have a value prop that's not, it doesn't resonate with them because they can't. They can't bring that, bridge that gap, you know, to your point earlier around how the um, response to telehealth has been, you know, having those reference yeah. points or anecdotes or things like where people have used and leveraged technology in those ways, like is helpful and, and reassuring for people. And if you're the first one in your group of people that's heard of that, like you're probably, ah, I don't know, right? There's an adoption curve that, yeah. that happens. Yeah. And I, I'd say that, that that is the good thing about working for a healthcare system is that you see different emerging trends, um, you know, within the industry or outside of the industry. And you have the opportunity to not just rush to get them out necessarily, but reflect on how useful they are and how that, how they can be integrated into, into the products that, that you offer. So I, I definitely feel like we're, we have a luxury of, um, no, knowing that we're going to continue to iterate this stuff over the long term and not just, you know, rushing to get out, you know, a, a product to meet some market demand that exists at a, a certain moment or that we think might exist at a certain moment. But we're really here to serve our, our patients and introduce things in a, in a meaningful, uh, strategic way that that really solves the big problems first and then moves on to the, thing, the things that might just enhance the experience later on. Yeah. Yeah, where do you think um, things are going in the next five years, given kind of the leapfrog, the adoption, everything driven by the pandemic and, and kind of current state of the world. What yeah. do you think, I guess, strategy, design, experience well, I, in healthcare? Yeah. I mean, I just think overall, and it, it obviously it's not at all unique to, to healthcare, but just uh, 
it's it's going to mobile is going to be the predominant way that people interact with everything related to their health, um, and we need to figure out how to, how to make that reality uh, happen. And I know that we we have a lot of projects that we work on that are very much in that vein, um, but definitely connecting the dots and reducing the the amount of steps that maybe exist to, to, that are in the way of of meeting that goal. So we we talk a lot about how do we how do we make the phone, the primary hub of everything that you're doing to, to engage with your health. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually an app that I've used for like five years now. It's called gyroscope and it okay. connects into all your, it's like the, uh, what do they call it? Human OS or something okay. like it ties into your Apple watch. If you've got an aura ring, if you, you know, take blood samples, if you're doing keto, like all of these things integrated into like a timeline, it's very interesting to think about, you know, the next level of that, even the quantified self where you have these things that are kind of monitoring, you know, your health. I think a lot of, a lot of cases, like things that, you know, like your Apple watch, I think they've done uh, strides forward in making adoption of devices, medical devices and things um, more acceptable, more relatable, you know, to your point earlier where, you know, it'll automatically call 911 if it detects something, right. right. And deploy them to you. I think that's a huge, you know, there's people who have, you know, who have died in those situations. And, um, you know, unfortunately, my my mother passed away from a, a heart attack um, six years ago. And she had an Apple watch on, you know, like, yeah. hey, maybe someone could have, you know, could have got deployed. And I, there's countless other stories of people where, um, you know, things happen where you don't have the data and you have these point in time snapshots and um yeah. yeah, there's definitely a, a good opportunity to m make technology that's proactive um, and, and tying that, again, to the bigger picture of your health. I think that's a good thing about being in a, a, at a healthcare system is we're not just looking. Uh, those ideas are interesting of it can detect your, your heart rate um, and, you know, see if there's any anomaly with that. But really just the ability to, to see that whole bigger picture of what that means with everything that's been going on with you over a period of time. Um, mm -hmm. I think we have, a, we have a lot that we can do with that. Um, so I'm excited to, I don't, I don't have answers to anything yet, but yeah. I'm, ex I'm excited to, to, you know, be along for the journey and figure out how we, we can pull these ideas in that really make it so that people can proactively, um, be healthier. Yeah. So let's dig in uh, a little bit, Michael, to, to team dynamics. I mean, what do you, what do you think is the biggest problem right now you're facing, um, at Aurora, Advocate Aurora Health uh, yeah. today, you know, with product designer development and kind of that whole cycle. Yeah, I would say that the the biggest um, thing that we've been going through for the, the last year or so is having brought together two large organizations, um, Advocate in Illinois and Aurora in, in Wisconsin. Um, you know, we when we got brought together, we we did it a. Uh, uh, some grounding in trying to figure out how many web properties we had, how, how basically what were we working with? And I mean, an astronomical number of, of web properties um, and just different identities that we had in different places. Um, and then looking at those sites, even it was just like, Oh, none of these are even remotely the same. They have def different, different technology backing them up. They have different look and feel that it just all over the board. So we've spent so much time over the, the last year, two years, three years, I don't know how to throw out a number. It seems like it seems like it's been going on for a long time. And we're getting, you know, more and more in the direction that we need to be, but creating consistency, 
from an experience standpoint. So if you're trying to find a doctor, um, this is how that works for you to find a doctor. This is from what we, what all the research that we've done, this is the best way that, that you can do it. Let's deploy that to all, all of the sites that have a find a doctor experience. You know, obviously uh, that, that's a big thing that people are looking to do when they're interacting with us is, I know that the, you're a healthcare system, tell me who I can see for this condition that I have or, yeah. Um, and then along with that is creating a design system from a look and feel standpoint. Um, so that's a big part of what our, our visual design team has been focused on. What are the, the how, how is this button designed? How are these dropdowns designed? How do we do this component? And so that's been a very, very useful thing for us because it, it helps us get scale, right? So mm-hmm. we, we have been moving over our technologies to, to, a, to, to a single CMS. As we're doing that, we're applying our, you know, making design tweaks and applying our design system to it. So that's been a big part of, of where I think as a design organization, we've been focused. So I, I've really been looking at the how do we make this stuff consistent from an experience standpoint or what do we need to do to enhance this going forward? Um, whereas a, a lot of the team is really focused on kind of those nuts and bolts of this is what the best visual uh, approaches consistently across our organization and this is how we bring all this stuff together. So it's been, it's been a really exciting time and where I've worked before, this was probably going back to maybe 2013, 14. Um, when design systems, you were just hearing the first rumblings of them. We, we tried doing a design system. And at that time, I think we were just maybe uh, too large and not nimble enough, um, but also didn't really know exactly what, what we were doing or how a design system would be useful or how, how to apply it to all the different products that we had. Um, but through that process, it, it gave me a lot of excitement around what design systems are and the, what they can bring to a company. So I was really excited when we had the opportunity uh, because of the merger to, to really start building a robust design system. Um, and I think it's just been something that's been great for everybody. Even as me as a, um, I would, I would say that I'm a user experience designer in kind of the, the lamest terms. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I do wireframes. Usually they're pretty crappy. They're not that great. They get the idea across, but that's not, that's not where I shine or, you know, definitely visual design isn't my forte, but having a design system allows us to build out, prototypes in, in Adobe XD very quickly that we can then get user testing um, done on. So it, it, all of it just helps across the board with everything that we're doing from ideation to execution. Yeah. And you're not reinventing the wheel every time you want to test a new idea. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 No, it, yeah. So it's, it's been, it's been really great for us. And you know, I think the, the designers that I work with um, I'll speak for them, but I think that they've enjoyed the process of figuring out what are the best things, what are the way that we do the, these um, different components and and how do we build this thing out? So it's been a fun technical challenge. Yeah. How do you uh, how do you ensure business goals, user outcomes and designer all communicated and intermingled together? You know, as you as you think about taking that design system and applying it to a specific flow in XD or a prototype, how do you how do you take those business goals and um, carry them through the your product teams? Yeah, I would say that, you know, again, I I'm, know I'm putting a lot of weight on uh, design sprints, but we, we, a lot of the the way that we really get agreement and alignment on what we're doing is through the design sprints. Also, along with that is we have very close relationships with our stakeholders. Um, so I, I feel like understanding what the vision is, but then also having the, the close in, uh, communication channels 
with the people who have the final say on it, on a, you know, really on a daily basis, helps us figure out, okay, what is really what's needed? And then how do we meet that from a design perspective? Obviously, using research as our backbone to figure out, okay, this is what we're trying to do. This is what we think we should do. This is what we actually need to do because this is the thing that'll make it usable and make it better um, for our, our patients. Yeah. That's good. Um, are there any, you mentioned using Adobe XD for prototyping. Are there any tools you're using internally that you feel like you couldn't live without? Yeah, I mean, I would say XD has been the the tool that we've just standardized around um, from a, a design perspective. Um, we we also do use um, usertesting.com pretty often. Um, one of the good things about working in healthcare is that we have a pretty general audience base. Um, I know from past roles that I've had to do recruiting um, was 99% of your research effort because you had to find specific people who had very specific um backgrounds or titles or roles. And so, so that was always a very difficult thing. Um, with the work that we do, we can use user testing to pretty much find anybody that we're, we're looking for to get feedback very quickly. Um, so that's, that's really just help helped to, uh, expedite the way that we do research and how fast, I guess, how fast we can get research done. Um, and then also really because we are all working from home, for the foreseeable future, we've, with our design sprints, really transitioned to doing it all remotely. I was definitely nervous the first time I had to do that. Um, with a lot of good resources online helped help me figure out how to, how to do that. And I think we're going to continue to refine our process for it going forward. Um, but we use Mural uh, as the tool, the whiteboarding tool for that. And, and that's worked really well for us um, just to... I, w- actually, what I like about using a digital whiteboard... Um, and this isn't even specifically mural, but I think just a digital whiteboard in general is when we were doing design sessions, um, design sprints in person, we'd have a kind of a war room where all these post-it notes would go up and you'd come back the next day and half of them would be on the floor. Um, you know, you take out where, notes. where they go. Yeah. yeah. You don't know where they go. Um, you'd run out of whiteboard space. So you're erasing things and taking pictures of it. And then you just have this mess of pictures on your phone. Um, what I feel like a digital whiteboard really gives uh, us a lot of ability to do is to capture artifacts. So when I'm putting together a deck afterwards, I can just take a screenshot of a part of a whiteboard and put that into into the the deck and be able to explain to people who weren't participants, this is what we did, this is what it looked like, and this is how it worked, and this was the information that we got from it. So I feel like, I mean, for most of the work that I do, those are the, the tools that are um, kind of my lifeblood on a daily basis. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm a UX designer, probably in the lamest sense of the word. Um, so I'm not, I'm not getting into like any, any uh, you know, more intensive design tools. Uh, the rest of our team is, um, but really for the kind of more strategy work that, that I'm doing, those are, those are the, the primary things that really help me get my work done and communicate um, to the, the people that I'm working with the where we need to go and, and you know, the direction of, of the work. Yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. And, and just to clarify, did you say mural or Miro? Mural. M-U-R-A-L. Yeah. 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 yeah, I know that that's uh, always an interesting conversation because of those two products that do very similar things um, with very close names. So, um yeah, <laughs> always a hard one to say. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll include that definitely in the show notes uh, for those that are interested. Um, this has been 
super helpful. I really appreciate your insight, Michael. Um, where can people follow you and, and connect if they want to learn more or talk about what you're doing at Advocate? Um, yeah, I would say that probably LinkedIn is, is the best place to find me these days. I, uh, have done, I, I used to run a UX meetup group for a number of years, um, called Milwaukee UX based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, and so we, we used to do a lot from a social aspect around that. Um, ever since we, we kind of sunsetted that a couple of years ago, I've kind of backed off on my social media presence with things UX related. So I'd say if, if you want to talk about any of this, I'm always excited to, to have conversations. Um, you know, that's definitely what I miss about the new era that we're in is not being able to go out to conferences um, and really interact with or, or local meetups and interact with people who are doing the same thing. And I de definitely miss that. So um, definitely if, if there's anything healthcare or UX related that you want to talk about, feel free to find me on, on LinkedIn. I think we maybe we can provide that in the show notes as well. Uh, yeah. If that works for you, Andrew, not, not to yeah, give you a, a task to, to complete, but um, that's probably the, be the best way of reaching out to me. And, and I would love to have a conversation with you about any of these topics. Sounds great. Well, thanks again, Michael. It was great learning about how you've adapted to COVID, how, you know, your plans kind of, uh, uh, for your team to continually iterate. And I think the big thing is just the feedback loops are always there, right? High level, low level, really, you know, getting that voice of the customer attached to, uh, the work that you're doing. So yeah, thanks absolutely. again for, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think that we're in a good, a good place to continue to, um, adapt all those, methodologies and those feedback loops to the world as it continues to change. I'm, you know, we're, I know we're not out of the woods with any of this yet, so I'm sure there will be some changes that come that happen down the line. So I'm excited to, to see where this lands us. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks so much. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to Seaworthy. Connect with us and ask questions on Twitter at SeaworthyFM. Make sure you subscribe. And if you enjoyed it, leave a review on iTunes. Sail forth and make waves.